0: How are you? I'm alright, how are you? I'm okay. Hey, it's the fifteenth of July twenty nineteen. This is season from But Eric. It's the to three. I know. Uh, we're halfway two, through
1: two, the two, year, two, Matt. Oh okay.
0: just like everything related to farming this year, uh everything's delayed. Everything's delayed. Everything's a little bit slower. Especially when you have a vacation. Oh. Oh don't put this on me. Don't put no, this on me. Just saying you weren't here for like oh, three that's weeks. True. So yeah three weeks it was two and a half oh okay two and a half okay and then not even a half we left Wednesday night anyway yeah you're right I did go on vacation in June uh, and then came back but that's still it's been 15 days since I've been back what's what can we say
1: um it's hot and getting hotter this week it is pretty darn hot
0: and it has been cool and wet up until is it fair to say like last week
1: uh, the last... i mean there's some parts of iowa that are experiencing you know their the pineapple corn thing where got spiky tops and they could really use a shout of water and um there's conversations this morning in my earlier meeting that talked about flash droughts so flash remember drought. last time when we said what's the opposite of a drought yeah. well now the it's It's coming back in the conversation because there's parts of Iowa that are going to experience a flash drought this week.
0: Tell me. So the the subsurface
1: moisture two feet and below is doing okay. Yeah. Um, But the surface, the soil surface, is drying out very quickly, and this is really important because for all those late-planted crops throughout Iowa, they have a shallower root system than say the earlier-planted. So that's you have crops that really, really, really are using a lot of water. Yeah. They're using a lot of nutrients, but they have a shallow root system, so they're not tapping into the subsurface. Yeah. So yeah. as a result, they're experience, sort of experiencing a flash drought. <laughs> so this is what I, I'm learning from our state meteorologist, Justin Glisson. I know, it sounds Glisten. Sounds kind of like a made-up name, especially like, for a weather guy. That's
0: like an is it, onomatopoeia. A word that sounds like the thing it should describe for for a meteorologist? Glisten <laughs> in the sun. But know? he
1: says, because I, I wanted to pronounce it right, and he said it's glisten, like listen. Oh, I was like, yes, not like sparkle.
0: That guy has an extension appointment.
1: <sighs> He's great. Talks. He's great. But um, anyway, he was ex- explaining the flash drought, thermal ridges, blocking. He used a lot of jargon that I wasn't quite familiar with, but it all sounded like hot and dry.
0: Yeah, but that's interesting. The... Uh, what you said about it just being at the subsurface—that mm-hmm. below that there's adequate moisture—but we had this like worst-case scenario where planting was delayed, and then even those crops that were planted were in soils that were cool, so emergence was delayed. And if I understood you correctly, then those plants, if they if they were planted and developed normally, their root system would be able to tap into that mm-hmm. that moisture, right? but because we've had hot, dry weather for, we're getting on two weeks now, yeah. Um, yeah, they're kinda, they're hurting.
1: But he also said, on the other hand, a flash drought could be more quickly mitigated by rain than yeah. say if we had the prolonged drought stress where we're looking at that drought monitor and hitting some of the more severe
0: drought symptoms. So this is Monday, um, the 15th of July. We're anticipating, the prediction is for hot, uh, dry weather throughout this week, like 90 plus. Peak temperatures, but there is a chance of rain for this uh, coming weekend. So, cross your fingers and hope we get some some rains to yeah. cover.
1: Yeah, yep. We need it. Much,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a positive thing might be to segue into insect updates. Not seeing a lot of aphids, right? Not seeing a lot of things that would benefit from a plant that's suffering from drought stress, right? Uh, not seeing. Other things that would be attacking the plant that would just exacerbate this flash drought? Is that fair to say? Um,
1: Well, we've had soybean aphid in some of the northern counties for about two weeks, but it's my understanding that they've been kind of holding steady as far as number of aphids per plant and number of plants infested per, per plot or per field. So I think it's because of the hot weather. They really haven't taken off. And also partly because the plants are small. The canopies aren't closed in most fields and so they have a hard time moving between rows. Right now it's kind of, you know, a smaller plants are touching within a row. So the aphids are kind of being kept in check. Um, Other things that I think about when we have prolonged uh, hot temperatures and dry, of course, are grasshoppers and spider mites. And so I think about like field perimeters that have grassy weedy borders that are being burnt up because Mm -hmm. it's so hot Mm -hmm. the mites can take off and become initially a perimeter pest and so that was my advice for field agronomists this morning is those areas with sort of that flash drought is Mm -hmm. to look for spider mites that are entering field edges Um,
0: so I might break that down a little bit yeah Uh, so let's talk about aphids Mm, my favorite topic yeah (laughs) used to be the soybean aphid podcast Um, So we had a report from our students, postdoc, that they found aphids on soybean plants, especially up in northwest Iowa at the research farm up there. And what they were finding in the single digits in terms of percentages of plants infested, but those plants that were infested often had double digits, maybe even triple digits. I think they reported one plant with like 100 aphids. That was around, the let's see, that was the week of July 4th. They went back and they said, well, those numbers have come down in terms of the number of aphids on plants that are infested, but the number of infested plants has gone up a little bit, but still in the maybe 10% range. Yeah. So uh, not, not worrisome, right? Not, yeah. uh, and it's pretty low. And I got an email today from Brian Lang up in Northeast Iowa, Asked him if he had heard anything about aphids in his neck of the woods. Uh, We were looking for places where there might be soybean aphids. And he said, scouted last week, uh, much of my region did not find one soybean aphid. Plenty of pea aphids in alfalfa and oats. Yeah. Plenty of barley, yellow dwarf virus in oats. But soybean aphids, not so much. He was going to double check. So um, he also noted that soybeans were not planted until late May, early June. So... Pretty consistent with the state, mm-hmm. so in some ways that's that's good news, right? That's happy news. It's good news for farmers. Yeah, yeah. That means yeah. for us, we I mean, like do research on it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's that's why we keep a, several colonies in the lab, and we have students running assays throughout the summer. Um, and then uh, spider mites. Let's talk about that. So, yeah, if get dry, they tend to do better.
1: They like it hot. Some like it hot, including mites. Um, and the power reason why people, I was kind of, it, of talking about that is Power Company,
0: 1986. Some like it hot. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, sure is entomologist at Kansas State, Sarah Zukoff had talked about. It's been a good year, good spring anyway for aphids. They have various species and various crops. So she said they've just been doing well, and uh, just kind of spread the word because sometimes it, you know, things that happen in the south first we see a little bit later. So that's why I was kind of just, you know, eyes open for mites.
0: Okay. Yeah. And if, uh, if herbicide applications are going on late and burning weeds down that would have those mites, if that's timed with this heat wave, that, that would exacerbate maybe a mite population, at least it moving over to a main crop. There's some, con- is there, do you have some concern for weeds being like a bridge species for?
1: Oh, they're definitely. There. I mean, that's where I think they like to be, but when they're either mowed or burned off, um, or just burned up because of heat or herbicides, yeah, that, that is when they like to move to field crops. Yeah. And so I think they overwinter in those edges or those perimeters. There's more refuge or habitat after the crop is gone.
0: So it's not that farmers are doing anything wrong. It's just that because of the late planting and delay and everything, they're kind of put into maybe a bad situation where they're burning down the preferred host. And now those mites, if they have the opportunity, are moving at a time when the abiotic conditions, temperature, humidity, are all in their favor. Yep, yeah, that's so right. So why are we telling them this? Because now might be a good time to just check some places where, yeah, you're, maybe you're having a flash drought, maybe everything's a little dry take a look for some lights. Yeah, it's
1: definitely a pest. You want to be on the more proactive side than reactive side because uh, their populations can double very quickly under these drought-like conditions. So they're just, you know, want to take care of them before they get to field interiors yeah. and on the upper part of the canopy. Well,
0: we'll say this about drought-like conditions. The flash drought that you're mentioning is not reflected in the drought monitor out of UNL. The So this is the national resource provided by the university of nebraska lincoln they Mm -hmm. do a a map showing where drought uh, is present in the united states and they have various categories and right now iowa drought free yeah but they don't account for flash droughts and those other kind of more localized conditions that you were talking about that Mm -hmm. our meteorologist gleason
1: Glisten.
0: uh, glisten like listen which is something I didn't do when you explained yes. to me how to pronounce his last name. Forever. or ever. I mean, well, it's, fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm, I'm you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of the top 10 percentile of listeners. I listen all the time. I'm Because I'm talking all the time, and I listen to myself. Um, but I, I'm guessing that in the next couple of weeks, if weather patterns continue in the trend that we're seeing, that, that drought monitor is going to change some. Yeah,
1: it could change, yep.
0: Anything
1: else? Other, Any other insects? insects? Yeah. Uh, Jenks. Coke. Coke. Uh Other insects that are doing their thing right now include corn rootworm adults, Japanese beetles yes, adults, Japanese beetles, beetle, what the, Japanese beetle adults. Yeah. I got it. Um, so they're quite active right now as most of the corn is moving into silking. It's oh, a, a super tasty treat for them, mm. and so there's moisture. That's a source oh of moisture. It's a of nutrition. I, like, I like the water. I like the protein. Whatever it is, yeah. and so there's some corn feed or corn silk feeding going on right now. So that's uh, a lot of chatter. And then um, we talked about it before, I think, but the second generation of thistle caterpillars becoming active in soybean, and there was just really booming numbers from that first generation, not only in Iowa but throughout the North Central, and actually all the way out into east coast in Canada. And so the second generation might actually have more of an impact than we've seen before.
0: Can we talk a little bit about those caterpillars? Heck yes. Uh, The adults, those are butterflies, right? Yeah. Those, are those, they they kind of look like painted ladies?
1: They are painted ladies.
0: (laughs) But I just assume their gender? Um, no that that's interesting cuz I noticed a lot of those a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. like um how did I notice them well I did this you really accurate sampling tool mm-hmm. called the windshield test mm-hmm. I just, all over my windshield yeah. it's so along 80 mm-hmm. yeah. and um and then in terms of japanese beetles just getting hit in the head as i bike into work the last couple of weeks um, yeah
1: the defoliation of ornamental trees around ames is already apparent at in least in my neighborhood the yeah. tops are Defoliated. They're turning brown. The leaves are falling off already.
0: Yeah, yeah. Urban environments are suffering some. What's your sense of that defoliation in crop fields? You talked about silk clipping in corn, but what about mm. soybeans? I haven't seen it in the few plots that I've gone to around campus. But
1: mm. well, uh, the four most northern sites that I'm working at, you can find Japanese beetles pretty easily. But actually, the most dense population is right here at Johnson. Really. So. Really? Yeah, um, no. thanks to a, an industry cooperation that okay. I have set up. We're going to do some efficacy evaluation for Japanese beetle this year. So oh, more details to come. But okay. um, the defoliation is can be significant on perimeters. And so depending on the field size and that kind of thing, the defoliation can add up um, because there's such a mobile aggregated pest. But my experience is that field-wide whole plant, the defoliation is not Usually the defoliation does not warrant a treatment, but I think because people see the perimeter edge injury, right. they kind of take that as well, that's what's going on in the whole field. And so instead of kind of assessing throughout the field, they make judgments just based on
0: border rows. If you only scout from the cab of your truck, you mm. won't be assessing the full, but you won't get the whole story. You have to get yeah. it in the field
1: yeah it's definitely one that stands out even from a distance because of the bronzing that can occur so you have to really kind of get out there and take a look
0: all right interesting interesting time of year
1: yeah but but maybe the biggest thing that i've had to deal with the last couple of weeks since you've been gone um is soybean gall midge oh yeah it's, uh, on that. it's a brand new pest and not known to occur anywhere else besides western iowa some parts of Minnesota and then Eastern South Dakota and Eastern Nebraska. So that's anywhere in the world. It's a really limited uh, area that we've had positive detections. Last year we had about 65 counties in those four states. And this year we're already over 80 counties between the four different states.
0: When, when you get a report, what does that mean that that somebody has seen the midge, or that somebody has seen the damage that is attributed to the midge?
1: Yeah, it's it's very difficult to find the adults. and They're a small, long-legged fly. They kind of look like a small mosquito to me. And so what I'm considering a confirmation, because most people, even if they're looking, they wouldn't be able to find them, is to look for infested plants. And they've been showing me plants, infested plants with the third instars, which are bright orange. They kind of look like little orange slices. And so the the gall like that's formed... These are
0: the formed, maggots, right? Yeah, the
1: maggots that are feeding. The first and second instars are difficult to see because they're clear, transparent okay. almost. But the third instars get bigger and turn orange. And so the, the gall that's formed as a result of the feeding, is, uh, it basically turns into like a black lesion at the base of the plant. And then you'll just have these orange slices Uh,
0: everywhere at the base. Feeding on the gall material, that like plant tumor that they've induced. Yep. And then that eventually, what causes the plant to break off,
1: die. Yeah, it becomes very brittle. And so I think because they're feeding on the inside of the plant, they are basically limiting water and nutrient uptake. And so very quickly after infestation, the top of the plant becomes brown. It's just, I think it's being not suffocated, but basically cut off of uh, water uptake, and so it wilts and dies very quickly, so within a span of 10 days, you can go from a relatively healthy plant to a brown stick. It's pretty dramatic. Wow. Yeah. And so we've, we've noted the first generation uh, what happened late June, early July, and now the second generation adults are flying now. So we would expect that you know as second generation adults emerge, they're looking for healthy plants, and that's when you have the expansion of injury to the more of the field interior.
0: So is this uh, like an an aphid where uh, you get multiple populations in a growing season and so you can get multiple uh, plants damaged uh, throughout the year? Or is it kind of like a rootworm where you get what you get from one generation and after that generation you're okay, you don't have to worry about it?
1: Yeah, I think the midge expert uh, Raymond Gagne said that For other species in this genus, the adult emergence is very quick, you know, two to three days, and that's what we were expecting. But uh, with our emergence cages, we noted from the first one to the last one was over two weeks. And so because of that, we've seen plants that are dead versus have a few larvae and the plants are still alive. So you kind of have a range of injury. And because of that, I think you have a more overlapping generation type scenario where you have... Second generations coming out on top of the first generation, so it's going to be adults moving, laying eggs, larvae feeding, overlapping generations for you know ten, twelve, fourteen weeks. We don't really know.
0: Yeah, so I'm just wondering, like, if you saw a patch of dead plants from that, say, first generation of mm-hmm. uh, gall midge, that you said, oh, shoot, lost that patch. Yeah, you did. But um, they're still out there, and they're capable of these multiple overlapping generations, uh, is the damage that you would expect more or less the same? Mm. Maybe we don't know.
1: Don't know yet. Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, like if you saw rootworm injury, you know, because your plants have toppled over, you'd be like, well, the best you could do is manage the adults and try to prevent damage the subsequent year, say if you're doing corn on corn, but it wouldn't you couldn't do anything, right? That's why you bought the BT corn. That's why you use the soil insecticide. Sounds like with this, eh, there may be some value in in managing those overlapping populations, but to what extent we don't know yet, right?
1: Don't know. And it was surprising to have such a long window of emergence because it makes timing that much more difficult. Because I don't at this point, adult control um, seems like an easy path, right? You're, you're spraying an insecticide and a oh, droplet yeah, touches the yeah. midge. But if you have an emergence period that's extended, it's really hard to get that timing right.
0: And you don't, we don't know yet if foliar insecticides have any effect on the larvae inside the gall, right? That's right, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a couple locations in Iowa, yeah. and there are some in Nebraska as well, looking at combination of seed treatments, uh, soil-applied insecticides, and then foliar applications. And the data is yet to be generated. I mean, the data is being generated. It's yet to be summarized. But you know what? We had a first round of applications go on about two weeks ago, and we didn't see an obvious response as far as a positive suppression of larvae. And so, um, but we're looking at a wide range of chemistries, and um, it's still unclear what maybe the second or third generation might do. So we'll be making some additional treatments uh, tomorrow and later this week.
0: So it's possible that you may not have protected the plants from that first generation with whatever insecticides you used at plant, you know, on the seed or, or whatever, but it's possible that you suppress the population enough that you're not going to see significant damage to additional plants in the field. Yeah.
1: It might've even just kind of dampened the overall population still unclear. Um, kind of like what we would think for bean leaf beetle yeah if you really yeah. go hard after the the first you know you don't see the second yeah as
0: much yeah, this is fascinating um and i'm kind of getting the sense that we probably will have to generate a colony to measure things like what triggers are overwintering yeah. degree day retire- requirements for development and all because yeah it would be good to know those things in order to tell farmers something about the best timing for an insecticide application, Yep. risk assessment, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And gall midges, could they get smaller? What would They're you say? very
1: underwhelming. When I passed around samples at field days last yeah. week, people were like, oh, because they saw straight up plant death along the perimeter yeah. of yeah. my stop. And I was like, yeah, and I had a big picture of what the midge looked like. Of the adult and the larvae, okay, here's real life what they look like. And they're like, oh, they're so small. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't take much.
0: No. Uh, what would you think, is what's bigger, an aphid, soybean aphid, or a soybean gall midge? Midge. Really? Yeah. Okay, all right, well, we're getting bigger. <laughs> right. We're heading in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, Plus, well, they have
1: fancy legs. Really? They're yeah. black and white bandits so they're extra fancy. Ooh, sexy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Want to change subjects? Heck yes. Sifloxaflor. Mm. What's going on with that? Got an I think update we learned last
1: week um, the EPA put out a press release that Sifloxaflor is now registered again by the EPA. Uh, I don't know, it's it's back in the saddle again? Is that an Aerosmith song? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's it class. was registered, I can't remember the first time it was registered for a couple of growing seasons and limited geographic areas, um, but then it was canceled?
0: Yeah. So in 20, let's see, it was approved. uh, got a label, but in 2015, a decision by the Ninth Circuit Court vacated the registration. And as I recall, that circuit court ruled that EPA didn't follow its own rules. Not that the registrants had done anything wrong, but that EPA had not... um, interpreted the data and collected the data in the way that they were supposed to based on their own rules. And so the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, go back, do this again. And
1: Particularly as it, as it um, outlined for bee safety. Is that your understanding? Right, okay. right. Uh, yeah,
0: very specific to that. They um, described how there were um, issues and how the The data were collected and interpreted by the EPA Um, and these were things that the EPA had told the registrants to do and um, anyway there's a we're getting into a level of detail that goes beyond the soybean pest podcast this is now the soybean pest legal podcast (laughs) Um, but cut to last week July 12 2019 a memorandum was released saying that the EPA is supporting the registration decision for new uses, uh, for a bunch of crops, long lists, soybeans is one of them. And so soybean farmers might go, new use, thought I had this years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, the label was vacated and they had to create a new one. And so now it's a new label. And I was looking over the document. Maybe we can put a link to it. Um, Not too hard to find. EPA makes this public. And there were a couple shout-outs to soybeans in the document. And one of the places that came up, one of the places where soybeans came up is uh, in response or in in calling out soybean aphid as a particularly problematic pest for soybeans that um, could use a new active ingredient like sulfoxiflor, in part because some of the other active ingredients like chlorpyrifos uh, are uh, fairly toxic to a lot of other things and have some non-target impact issues. Uh, And aphids are becoming resistant to the pyrethroids, so it would be good to have this completely new in terms of active ingredient and chemistry and mode of action to uh, combat this pest. and when used as the document says uh, uh, in an appropriate labeled way uh, there is an anticipation that this product will have lower impact on honeybees and other pollinators than existing chemistries yeah existing active ingredients so there i think that's where we're at right is that what you understand from
1: i don't have an understanding of when people will be able to use it uh, like in iowa when there'll be a, a label for our state for use in soybean, my guess is that we'd be able to use it for next summer. Yeah, I probably d- not this summer.
0: I think that that's probably mm-hmm. correct. The mm-hmm. one thing I'm noticing is that, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it has activity against spider mites. So, Phloxiflor. Mm. I don't know about that. Uh, I'm, you know, if I do a, if I control F this document, and search for spider mites. It shows up multiple times. Okay. Uh, but I think let me just make sure I'm reading this correctly. Sulfaxoflur will control challenging pests. Researchers and crop consultants have informed EPA that sulfaxoflur does not flare spider mites. Okay. Wow. So that's it. It's not. Uh, it's not causing problems with other pests mm-hmm. like we have with we've seen with organophosphates mm-hmm. when used. Pyrethroids. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe that's all we need to say about that, but mm-hmm. something to look forward to if uh, if you're having a hard time managing aphids, especially in soybeans, and you're looking for new active ingredients to switch over to, this could be one maybe for 2020.
1: Yeah, I've looked at it in my soybean aphid efficacy evaluation for many years, um, either as a single product or as a, as a premix with, uh, oh geez, uh, with a, I think it's a pyrethroid, So either as Transform or Seeker, and Mm -hmm. it performs very well. So it's good to know that there's a new product, but also a new effective product.
0: All right. Mm -hmm. Hey, so we've talked about a possible new product, and we've talked about some new insect pests, one that just showed up, right, in the last four or five years. Yeah. We don't know where it came from. We don't know if it's a new species or exotic or introduced.
1: Unknown.
0: Unknown. All right. Let's talk about something. Here, here's a little trivia question for you. Is the answer corn huskers? No.
1: No. Or
0: bug eaters. Bug
1: eaters. That's what I meant. Yeah. Not corn
0: huskers. Um, so uh, digging around in the soil, uh, putting in some plots, doing some vegetation, or doing some gardening around my house. Uh, happened to some, notice some roly-polies. Yeah. Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, right? See them everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of curious what's known about these things. Uh, Armadilla, Armadillidium vulgara is the species we have in North America in these parts. Okay. So some questions for you. Mm. Which one is true about the pill bug, the roly-poly we see in the Midwest? Is it a true bug? Wait, I got three. Hold on. Is it a true bug? Is it an arachnid? Is it an introduced species?
1: No, no, I don't know.
0: It's, it's an, an isopod. Not, what's that? It's an isopod. It's an isopod. What, uh, what, what's the closest, rela- what's the class that isopods are in? Oh. I know, it's prelim time all over again. I, uh, it's just kind of fun. It's a, uh, I don't know. It's one of the few terrestrial crustaceans. Oh, it's a crustacean. Yeah. Yeah, um, so not a true bug, not an arachnid, so both of those are false. It is an introduced species within the U.S.
1: Who would introduce that thing?
0: Isn't that interesting? Uh, it, I think, if I understand, and I, I, there's not a lot out on there on this, but it looks like it was brought over by European settlers, probably <sighs> brought in with introduced soil, yeah. either ship ballast or you know, any kind of soil material that was brought over, potted material, um, and it has taken off. It's all over North America. And and interesting, right, that uh, here's an introduced species. What impact it has, who knows? Are they mostly
1: a decomposer?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, detritivore, you know, feeding on dead, decaying things, Mm -hmm. um, which is good, right? You want to break that. You like that, yeah. um, Yeah, you know, it's so commonly seen that you don't think about it as being introduced uh, or exotic. Hmm. Anyway. That was kind of a fun It's a good fit. I thought that was, was it? Well, it's not an insect one, but it is called pill bug, so yeah. I thought that might be mm-hmm. appropriate. Anything else we need to talk about? Want to talk about? Want to share? Do you have Those any secrets? Secrets? <laughs> um,
1: I don't think I have any secrets. No. Do you?
0: Not really. Uh, not that I'm going to share. Uh, <laughs> a couple upcoming events. Uh, next week is the ipm for bees. We're in welcoming a bunch of people. About... 30 some people to an event that uh randall cass our extension specialist for pollinators and honeybees has organized ipm4bees um there's a website for that i think we're at max attendance but stay tuned for uh to that website because there'll be some updates on some of the research fellowships that are awarded through that uh, program to uh, student participants who are going to share some of the stuff they've done um, in the area of pest management as it relates to bees both pest management to protect bees from pests like varroa but also pest management to protect bees from insecticide exposure and, and other problems yeah so, so good job Randall Cass that's uh, next week 23rd 24th okay July how about you you got anything upcoming
1: uh, I have a lot of field day demos going on in the next three weeks and Most of them would be considered private, kind of like industry Uh invite only, so not much to share as far as some open registrations.
0: But all the stuff you're learning this summer, you're probably going to share ICM conference and whatnot into the... Uh, I've invited
1: Dr. Justin McMetkin from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln to talk about soybean gall midge. He's really taken the lead on that. So he'll be talking about midges, and who knows, I'll be maybe talking about aphids.
0: Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, so if you want to find more about us, Google soybean etymology, uh, Twitter at Aaron W. Hodgson, all one word. Aaron tweeting all the time. Mm, I just uh, just
1: surpassed 2,500 followers. Wow. It's a big milestone. I'm only about a gabillion behind Kim Kardashian, yeah. but whatevs.
0: <laughs> but not a lot of overlap, I'm guessing. <laughs> and those two populations. You're probably right. Uh, very, I, very, I rarely tweet
1: me. about hair care and makeup.
0: You're yeah. you're, a, you're a niche, special mm. niche. Mm. Uh, of course, you can always email us o'neil O-N-E-A-L at ISD.edu. Nobody ever emails me anymore. I don't get a lot of emails. You um,
1: don't get a lot of emails. You want more emails, man? Mm,
0: okay, maybe I'm oh. maybe I'm downplaying that. E-W-H at iSD.edu for Aaron. Please feel free to subscribe. Our one listener subscribe multiple times. <laughs> we need the likes at, via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Cue the outro music. This one's done. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.